This Janet Meffer Today archived broadcast is brought to you by Heart for Lebanon. We're trying to provide 100 refugee families with emergency supplies and the gospel during this urgent time of crisis. Your gift of $116 will help two families. Please help today by calling 888-247-5499. That's 888-247-5499. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! That's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Thank you so much for joining us again. Well, there has been a lot of news about China, as we know, in the last several months, the Wuhan virus, human rights abuses, the future of TikTok. But what about its growing military power and how that could affect the United States? Well, there is a recently released report out from the Pentagon showing that China is increasing its military might with more aircraft carriers, more nuclear warheads, more funding, putting the United States military dominance in jeopardy and raising the likelihood that we could lose a war with China. And that is according to some retired flag officers who spoke about it with my next guest, John Rosamondo. He is Senior Analyst for Defense Policy at the Center for Security Policy, former Senior Analyst for Counterterrorism at the Investigative Project on Terrorism. And he is out with an important piece about this report and what some of these retired military have to say about it. John, it's great to have you here. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on, Janet. Thank you, John. Give us an overview of this China military power report to Congress, because I found this probably more alarming than a lot of the other news coming out of China. Give us an overview, if you would. Well, uh, Congress requires uh, the Pentagon to give an annual report on Chinese military power. Uh, One of the key uh, findings that I thought uh, alarming was the plan to double the Chinese nuclear uh, warheads over the next uh, decade. I saw a report from the uh, Chinese uh, Communist Party uh, newspaper uh, saying they want to increase it to uh, about like 1,000 warheads. Mm-hmm. Uh, that puts uh, China in uh, direct threat to our uh, forces. And uh, one of their, uh, they just published a, a video online uh, showing one of their bombers attacking uh, U.S. Uh, forces in Guam. Wow. So, uh, and everybody knows that, uh, you know, we're being threatened, uh, you know, with Taiwan. Uh, the Chinese have uh, increased their uh, navy. Like, I think any conflict between the United States and China would primarily either be uh, cyber uh, or uh, space or naval. I mean, the Chinese Navy is uh, has now become the largest in the world. I mean, we just uh, lost uh, the USS Bonhomme Richard uh, over the uh, summer uh, to uh, a fire, and the Chinese are currently building uh, amphibious warships that uh, could help them to uh, take Taiwan, and we're really not in much of a uh, shape to uh, counter that threat. Right. That's very disturbing. I mean, as you're pointing out here, you have zero aircraft carriers in China just back in 1996, I think it was. Now they're building a third. They've got two already, and they've got this fleet of about 350 ships, which amounts to the largest in the world. This is not good news for us. I mean, because on our side, what are we doing? What happened here? Well, I think that we've been uh, had our eyes uh, focused on counterinsurgency fights in Afghanistan, in uh, Iraq, Syria, 
elsewhere uh, in the third world. Meanwhile, China has been uh, building up its uh, military forces, modernizing them uh, to uh, the point that we're uh, distracted and they've just been taking advantage. I mean, the Chinese have um, a base in Djibouti and the Horn of Africa that uh, could threaten our uh, forces uh, in the Red Sea area. They've been building up uh, soft diplomacy across sub-Saharan Africa uh, to increase their uh, footprint there. Uh, And the uh, United States, at the same time, has uh, allowed our military budget to, uh, you know, increase. uh, But we've uh, invested in things like the Zumwalt um, stealth destroyer that we don't even have a a shell that its guns can fire. Uh, Mm. We built uh, other uh, systems that were complete boondoggles. So we don't have leadership at the Pentagon. That, we, that means Donald Trump needs to do something for the next four years. He needs to get uh, some firm hands in the Pentagon to get uh, things together. Yeah, absolutely. When you're looking at the overall picture of China, for example, the fact that they surpassed us with ground launch missiles in larger numbers with greater ranges than the United States, according to some reports, what is it that we need to shore up? I mean, I'm sure we have to shore up the military overall, but where is the greatest need? Do we need more ships? Do we need more military members? Where is the greatest, you know, we need, need at more, the moment? We need, basically, we need to, uh, and I got this from you know, admirals and generals uh, from both parties, that uh, pretty much uh, Mr. Trump needs to uh, clean house in the Pentagon. Yeah. And to put uh, people in there who have a vision for uh, you know, putting together a strategy and, uh, to uh, counter uh, China. I mean, we need to uh, put more emphasis on uh, space-based deterrence, uh, uh, modernizing our nuclear forces, and also into uh, countering the, uh, China's uh, abilities uh, to uh, steal our technology uh, through cyber warfare uh, capabilities. Right. So, and that's like what I've got, what I've uh, gleaned from my conversations from these uh, flag officers. Well, when you were talking to these retired officers, what did they say in terms of why we would lose any war with China? Were there any particulars that they mentioned to you uh, about our weaknesses? I mean, our weaknesses have basically been in terms of terms of strategy and a lot of our uh, you know weapons have become older and uh you know the chinese are really uh focusing on modernization hmm. i mean they don't have a lot of the overhead uh costs that maybe we have uh in, with our military and uh in many cases uh they could be surpassing our uh capabilities within the next decade so we need more leadership. We yeah. need, uh, you know, people who uh, have the um, start with a vision and sort of a plan in mind, rather than just sort of being uh, building things in search of a mission, which has been the problem at the Pentagon since uh, the Bush administration. Right. John, with this retired military, is it their opinion, I don't know, across the board or just individually, that China is emerging as the greatest threat to the United States rather than, they, you know, yeah. They're all in consensus. I spoke to two Democrats and two Republicans. And they both, you know, Republicans and Democrats don't agree about anything <laughs> these days. <Right. laughs> but these uh, 
these flag officers who are bipartisan all see China as our top major threat. Yeah. And uh, they say that we need to completely rethink a lot of what we've been doing and, uh, you know, get uh, something, I mean, just think back 40 years when Ronald Reagan became president. Uh, the, we had just had uh, the debacle at Desert One, uh, for your li- listeners, with the failed rescue attempt of the hostages that put forward our inabilities, some uh, limitations of our capabilities. When Reagan became president, he put Casper Weinberger in the uh, Defense uh, Department as Defense Secretary. He had a vision for defeating the Soviets. They went and put together a plan, and then they executed on it. Mm-hmm. He had uh, John Lehman as Secretary of the Navy. He had a plan for a uh, 600-ship Navy. They brought back the battleships and uh, brought uh, and bolstered our uh, capabilities. We need to have people in there who are willing to think outside the box yeah. and not just follow orthodoxy. Why do you think it is that they're not putting China as a front burner issue here at the Pentagon? I mean, clearly nobody wants to be attacked by China. Are they just out of it? Or are they just disinterested because of their politics? Well, I mean, how do we explain Bureaucr- it? Bureaucracy. Yeah. Bureaucracy. You know, it's kind of, the bureaucracy is like a weed. I mean, it's kind of like you need to have somebody able to go in there and just clean house. I mean, it's kind of funny, find kind of funny how... Uh, the Democrats are attacking the president for uh, tearing apart the uh, administrative state. It needs to be uh, uh, cleaned out and put people uh, in charge who will uh, keep uh, the the military contractors in line and uh, so that we will begin with the end in mind and execute on the plan. Very good. We're going to pause for a break. John Rosamato with us from the Center for Security Policy. We'll be back talking about China and the United States. Stay with us. For several years now, Syrians have been pouring into the country of Lebanon to seek refuge amid terrorism and civil war. Now the crisis in Lebanon has escalated in the aftermath of COVID-19, a crumbling economy, and a devastating explosion in Beirut. Yet the spiritual crisis in Lebanon is the most devastating crisis of all because many people there have still never heard anything about Jesus. That's why Heart for Lebanon is on the ground ministering to hurting refugee families in the south and the Bekaa Valley in Lebanon, providing a emergency supplies, Christian education, Bible studies, and worship gatherings for these refugee families. And the impact is incredible. Shana was one of those kids who had never heard about Jesus until God used Heart for Lebanon to give her the good news of eternal life. When she was given the assignment in Heart for Lebanon's educational program to write about a defining moment in her life, Shana chose to write this. We were in Syria, and we knew nothing about Christ the Lord. When we came to Lebanon, I joined Heart for Lebanon School. It is there where I got to know that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world, and that whosoever worships Him will have eternal life. Shana had that opportunity to hear about Jesus because people just like you were willing to support the work of Heart for Lebanon, but they can't do it without your help. Your investment of $116 will help two families impacted by the crisis in Lebanon to get emergency supplies 
supplies that they need to survive during the next 60 days. But best of all, these families will hear the gospel of Jesus for the very first time. A gift of $58 is enough to help one family. Can you help? Call now, 888-247-5499, 888-247-5499, or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Once again, that number to call, 888-247-5499. A gift of $58 helps one family right now. Call 888-247-5499. You're listening to Janet Mefford today, and now here's Janet. Welcome back. Great to have you with us and great to have with us John Rossomano from the Center for Security Policy. You can check them out at centerforsecuritypolicy.org. And John's got a great piece out, a very important piece, in fact, on the issue of whether or not we are fully prepared for a war with China, given the fact that they are growing exponentially and really are planning to grow over the next decade. And John, I'm, I'm looking at this story here from the Sydney Morning Herald. China forces 500,000 Tibetans into labor camps. And this kind of goes along with the same issue that's already taking place in China where they're putting the Uyghurs into these camps and they're uh, upping the human rights abuses and the attacks on various religious communities. China is really emboldened right now. And I'm wondering when we look at our situation, as you said, a big problem that we have at the Pentagon and in some of the bureaucracy is that they're just, you know, that they're just the administrative state and they're acting the way that it often does. What about money? Is, Is that a big part of the picture too, considering we're multiple trillions of dollars in debt and we, you know, we're always worried about the next defense budget coming down the line. I mean, what 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 part does money play in all of this? Um, I would just say that, uh, you know, a big part of our problem is how intertwined our economies are. Yes. Because, uh, you know, the Chinese, uh, the People's Republic of China basically has us over a barrel in terms of, uh, you know, its uh, influence over our multinational corporations, uh, you know, our control of uh, some of our, uh, you know, big tech uh, corporate companies and uh, an influence. So I think that we need to move, uh, you know, full forward on uh, continued disengagement with uh, China economically. I mean, I've heard from both from these generals and admirals of uh, both parties that uh, you know, China, that China is far graver of an enemy and an adversary than the Soviet Union ever was, yes. because the Soviet Union did not have an economy that was roughly equivalent to ours. True. So, I mean, we're facing being twenty-four trillion dollars in debt. Our, uh, you know, the. And the costs of uh, you know, building these new systems and so forth keeps increasing and increasing and increasing. But the Chinese are able to uh, build these the things because they don't have to go through the art, research and development. All they need to do is have some good hackers to go in and steal our stuff. Right. And about a year ago, uh, before John Bolton was uh, dismissed as national security uh, advisor, he protested that the Chinese had stolen the uh, plans for the F-35. <laughs> and they put out a uh, similar stealth fighter that, uh, you know, if you looked at it from head on, it pretty much looks pretty similar uh, to our F-35. Wow. So they're able to uh, get this technology by stealing it from us and build it at a cheaper cost. Yeah, yeah. 
And that's a huge problem. Plus, they own a lot of our debt. That's another point right. to bring up in all of this, that we have such business ties to China and political. And also the crony capitalism. I mean, we, there's a lot of dirty money ties between people in the capital and uh, in China. Right. Uh, definitely. I mean, it's like if you look, say, at uh, Twitter, uh, you have a woman who's very close to the uh, Chinese Communist Party is on its board of directors. Wow. So uh, the Chinese uh, uh, Communist Party has a lot of influence in America. And, uh, you know, we need to well, make you know, this disengagement is a national security and a defense uh, issue. I mean, the Soviet Union uh, would try to uh, steal the as uh, steal the secrets from us, but they are nowhere near as good as the Chinese are. True. Yeah, that's true. Well, what about the PLA? This is something else that I was reading about. The Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense for China had talked about the People's Liberation Army and and said that the Communist Party has spent the last several years completely tearing out and rewiring the PLA organizationally with this goal of transforming into a joint force that's more combat ready and innovative and global. I mean, now we're talking about actual people and, and they've got, you know, over a billion people, obviously. And, you know, just the size of their military is that in in and of itself a big concern well the chinese uh, have been pretty much a regional power until recently but uh, the uh, people's liberation army navy you know has a vision of expanding its uh, reach um, into the indian ocean and in, into the pacific in a way that it never has before. I mean, China used to be uh, call itself the Middle Kingdom. Well, it's becoming that once more because uh, of its uh, Belt and Road Initiative, uh, because of its, uh, you know, economic power. So, uh, I mean, we need to look at how China's playing the game of chess and uh, figure out our counter moves to, uh, you know, Head them off at the pass. At the pass. Yeah, yeah, we have to. How concerned are you that China might actually try to initiate a war against us in the near future? I don't. Uh, it's sort of like I don't think that in the near future, but you know, ten to fifteen years out, who knows? Hmm. Uh, because uh, you know, we look weak, and they can't, and they know that we can't do anything. We can't counter them. I mean, one of the things that we did in the, Cold, in the Cold War against the Soviet Union was we put the emphasis on our nuclear uh, deterrent because we knew that we couldn't stop uh, an onslaught of tens of thousands of Russian-made tanks coming through uh, the Fulda Pass in uh, Germany. Uh, so we put our emphasis on nuclear uh, deterrence. We need to work on... Uh, modernizing our nuclear weapons, many who are, that are like uh, 40, 50 uh, years old in some cases. Uh, we need to uh, modernize our uh, uh, seaborne uh, nuclear deterrents, uh, like such as our uh, cruise missiles, our uh, submarine uh, uh, launched uh, ballistic missile capabilities. Our bomber, our bomber force, and uh, basically say to China that you know if you uh, attack Taiwan, 
we will not hesitate to use nuclear weapons as a uh, first uh, response. That was our doctrine in the, in, in the Cold War yes. against the Soviet Union. Right, right. Yeah, peace through strength. I liked that. It would work again. <laughs> you know, it's important. What What about this idea of forming kind of a NATO-like alliance? There's been some discussion about this, having this kind of alliance in the Pacific and getting some other countries together. Uh, what do you make of that idea? I think that, uh, you know, it's something that's worth looking into. I think that uh, we should work at, uh, you know, solidifying our alliance, say, with uh, ty- with uh Japan, I'll work at, uh, you know, muscling uh, some diplomatic uh, heft with uh, Duterte in, in the Philippines, because the Chinese have uh, spent a lot of effort trying to uh, court influence, and uh, patching up our uh, old uh, issues with Vietnam uh, to uh, possibly... Again, uh, access to uh, Cameron Naval Base, which uh, was used by the U.S. in the Vietnam War, or and the Soviets used it as a place, and also uh, you know Indonesia and the uh, nations uh, bordering the uh, South China Sea. Hmm. Yeah. So, because right now uh, the uh, Chinese uh, are pretty much bottled up by the first ring of islands, namely uh, you know southern tip of Japan, uh, Taiwan, Philippines, et cetera, in terms of their ability to project real force. But we have to be mindful of the fact that uh, the South China Sea is the largest uh, place of uh, commercial transit in the world. Like some $5 trillion worth of uh, shipping goes through there. Mm. So if the Chinese can control that, then, you know, we're really in uh, a lot of trouble. I mean, back in the late 19th century, uh, Admiral Alfred Thayer Mahan said, he who controls the uh, seas controls the global economy. Right. When the British stopped being able to control the global economy uh, with the protection of the Royal Navy, they ceased to be a power. Right. So right. if the Chinese Navy surpasses us in terms of its power and ability uh, to project... And the United States Navy uh, falls into further decline. That means uh, that we will have greater economic problems for the average American. Uh, I mean, just look at what happened to Britain after World War II. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, do you have any confidence that if Joe Biden were to win the election in November, the situation would improve as far as our military power and dominance, continued dominance? I don't think that Biden would, I mean, just look at what the Democrats uh, and the, uh, you know, centrist uh, Republicans have done over the past generation. They've uh, eviscerated and hollowed out our military and and turned the United States into a uh, vassal of the PRC. Yeah, uh, that's well said. And that's what I really am concerned about because we're at a time of great division at home and that's actually opening a door for our enemies abroad to be able to take advantage. And that, you know, that's been on my mind for quite a while. I know it's been on a lot of people's minds that we are increasingly vulnerable, it would seem, to outside enemies being able to, you know, really take advantage of the vulnerabilities that we have as a nation right now. But this is, John, this is such an important story and it's such an important thing for people to get their heads 
heads around. And I want to refer people once again to your piece over at the Center for Security Policy. I'll give out that website one more time. It's centerforsecuritypolicy.org. And you can read all about what these retired flag officers have communicated to John Rosamondo about the potential of America losing its military dominance to China. A very important story. John, so good to talk to you. Thank you very, very much for being with us again. Thanks a lot, Janet. I appreciate it. Thank you. Take care. And we'll be back on Janet Meffer today. This Janet Meffer Today archived broadcast is brought to you by Heart for Lebanon. We're trying to provide 100 refugee families with emergency supplies and the gospel during this urgent time of crisis. Your gift of $116 will help two families. Please help today by calling 888-247-5499. That's 888-247-5499. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. Speaking of reports, quite an earth-shattering report, as the Federalist calls it, from the Senate Homeland Security and Finance Committee. This is really a big story, which is why you will see the mainstream media doing everything it possibly can to not talk about it. This is an interim report on this long investigation they've been taking over the last several months into Hunter Biden's role on the board of Burisma Holdings. That's that Ukrainian natural gas firm. And this all came up during the time when President Trump was going through the impeachment hearings. And we were all scratching our heads and saying, which party was it again that was involved in quid pro quo? Which party was it again that was involved? Involved in foreign governments and shady dealings. I mean, this, you talk about shady. You talk about shady. This is via Fox. These are some of the things that this particular report unveils. Uh, this is just amazing to me. 87 pages long. It stated that the Obama administration officials knew that Hunter Biden's position on the board of Burisma was problematic and that it interfered in the efficient execution of policy with respect to Ukraine. This is a huge story. And you can believe, and you can take it to the bank, that if we were talking about Donald Trump Jr. being the person involved in all of the things now that this report reveals Hunter Biden was involved in, that we'd never hear the end of it. And they'd probably reopen some kind of impeachment trial against the president over it. I'm sure they would. I mean, they they impeach him for whatever they can come up with. They're going to impeach him again if he fills the Supreme Court seat, even though it's completely constitutional. The report's executive summary stated this investigation has illustrated the extent to which officials within the Obama administration ignored the glaring warning signs when the vice president's son joined the board of a company owned by a corrupt Ukrainian oligarch. Biden, if you'll recall, joined Burisma in 2014 and at the time reportedly connected the firm with consultants form Blue Star Strategies to help the natural gas company fight corruption charges in the Ukraine. And during the time that he was on the board there, then Vice President Joe Biden, now running for president, was running U.S.-Ukraine relations and policy for the Obama administration. Yeah, nothing to see here. In fact, the Biden campaign is now saying, oh, this is just baseless conspiracy theories. That's what they always say when there's just a smoking gun that's smoking away. 
Even though Hunter Biden's position on Burisma's board cast a shadow over the work of those advancing anti-corruption reforms in Ukraine, the committees are only aware of two individuals who raised concerns to their superiors, the Senate report stated. Despite the efforts of these individuals, their concerns appear to have fallen on deaf ears. The report stated that State Department official George Kent, who testified during Trump's impeachment hearings last year, and Amos Hochstein, the former U.S. Special Envoy and Coordinator for International Energy Affairs, raised concerns to the former vice president's office. The report, now this is where it really gets weird. The report stated that Hunter Biden formed significant and consistent financial relationships with the founder of Burisma and that he and his business partner, Devon Archer's firms, made millions of dollars from that association while his father was vice president. The committees also say they obtained records from the U.S. Treasury Department showing potential criminal activity relating to transactions among and between Hunter Biden, his family and his associates with Ukrainian, Russian, Kazakh and Chinese nationals. Now, nothing, nothing to see here. Why would we talk about this? They receive records that Hunter Biden sent thousands of dollars to individuals who have either been involved in transactions consistent with possible human trafficking, an association with the adult entertainment industry, or potential association with prostitution. And some of the recipients are Ukrainian or Russian citizens. The records note it is a documented fact that Hunter Biden has sent funds to non-resident alien women in the U.S. who are citizens of Russia and Ukraine and who have consequently, subsequently wired funds they've received from Hunter Biden to individuals located in Russia and Ukraine. And the records note that some of these transactions are linked to what appears to be an Eastern European prostitution or human trafficking ring. Hmm. Meanwhile, the report states that Senate investigators found millions of dollars in questionable financial transactions between Hunter Biden and his associates and foreign individuals, including the wife of the former mayor of Moscow, as well as individuals with ties to the Chinese Communist Party. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. Nothing to see here. Here's something else that's interesting about all this via the Federalist. New documents that are contained in the same Senate report show that former Secretary of State John Kerry lied to reporters when asked whether he was aware of Hunter Biden serving in a lucrative board position for this Ukrainian energy company. He said in December of last year, during the impeachment process against Donald Trump, I had no knowledge about any of that. None. No, I had no clue. Really? According to congressional investigators, Kerry's chief of staff, David Wade, briefed Kerry on press inquiries specifically related to Hunter Biden's arrangement of recently joining the board of Burisma. Records show Biden raked in upwards of 50 grand a month from serving on that board, despite no prior experience in the industry. Another analysis shows that Hunter was being compensated much more handsomely than board members on the leadership of larger corporations in the same field. Oh, do you think it might have had anything to do with the fact that his dad was the vice president? No, there's nothing to see here. Absolutely nothing to see here. Now, Senator Tom Cotton was on Fox weighing in on this particular situation, not extensively about the 87 pages, because that's a long report to have to go through, but he did have this to say. Cut five. 
Joe Biden for 47 years has been appeasing China. The only job he created in his dealings with China was a job for his son. We all know about Hunter Biden's job with the shady Ukrainian oligarch from the Democrats' partisan impeachment earlier this year. And uh, emails that have been released under the Freedom of Information Act already showed that many officials in the government, to include to the top ranks of John Kerry's State Department, were also aware of these troubling patterns, and they were themselves troubled by it. Uh, so I think Senator Johnson's, Johnson's report will shed important light on these very troubling facts. Well, you might say to yourself, why does it matter so much? There are many reasons why it matters, obviously, because the father was vice president and knew what was going on and the secretary of state lied about it. The point is the Obama administration knew all about what was going on and covered it up. That's the upshot of the report. And this is a man who wants to be put back into the White House, not as if we didn't already have a million reasons for saying this is not the guy. Perhaps this might be some more evidence to weigh when you are considering what you're going to do in the voting booth in November. Now, on the upside concerning the federal government, I'm going to bring you some good news because I don't want to end on a very sad note here about all of the corruption in government. We get a lot of that every single day. President Trump is doubling down, by the way, on his fight against critical race theory. And I couldn't be more delighted about this. Uh, This is incredible. He had gone after these federal agencies just recently. He called it in a tweet, banning efforts to indoctrinate government employees with divisive and harmful sex and race based ideologies. Now he's issued an executive order to combat, quote, offensive and anti-American race and sex stereotyping and scapegoating just two weeks, basically about two weeks after he directed the federal agencies to knock off the critical race theory cult-like activity, because that's what they're doing. Christopher Rufo, who's been reporting on this for a while, had been, you know, we, we played that clip not too long ago, talking about what's been going on inside of these federal agencies. And so, some of the references to what's been going on have been uh, likened to workplace harassment. I mean, how would you like to go into your company and be forced to sit there and listen to, if you're a white person, some kind of a lecture on how you're a white supremacist and how you have white privilege and you can't say anything because you don't want to lose your job and you don't want to make your boss mad and President Trump is intervening. And I'm really Really glad to see this. Not only that, but you might have heard that he has now put together this announcement about the 1776 Commission on Patriotic Education, which is another effort to try to not only knock out the anti-American ideology that's spreading like kudzu, as we say, toxic kudzu across the federal government, but also to try to shore up patriotism in our educational system. And we're long overdue on that. This is all a good development. And to me, it just speaks so well of President Trump loving this country and loving what is being done in the name of the United States, um, just to stick with the values and the ideals that we've always loved as Americans, because America cannot continue if we don't do that. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back. What's it like when a pregnant mom sees her baby for the first time? It all came down to the ultrasound. And I saw this little lima bean looking thing with a halo, which I thought was incredible. A baby wasn't really in the plan for this young mom. After seeing a halo on her baby on ultrasound at a preborn center, she was still leaning towards abortion. And I got to hear the heartbeat and 
I got chills. In that moment, I just felt God's arms come around me and hug me and tell me that it was going to be okay. Preborn is the largest provider of free ultrasounds in the country. Ultrasounds save lives. Would you join with Preborn in helping moms to choose life? To donate, just call 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. All gifts are tax deductible. That's 855-402-2229. Or there's a Preborn banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Are you in need of a health care program? You're in luck. As a member of Liberty HealthShare, you're part of a community that comes together to share their medical expenses. You can sign up throughout the year with memberships starting as early as the following month. And there are no contracts or commitments. Programs start as low as $349 per month. And there's no network, so you can choose your own doctors and hospitals. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance. So your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you, too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens. Find out more at libertyhealthshare.org jmt. That's libertyhealthshare.org jmt. Or call now, 855-565-2561, 855 855- Five six five twenty five sixty one. You're listening to Janet Mefford today, and now here's Janet. Well, this is very strange. From the Washington Post, a large, prominent evangelical Capitol Hill church late Tuesday filed a legal challenge to the district, alleging the city government is violating the First Amendment by facilitating and tolerating massive anti-racism protests, but forbidding worship services indoor or outdoor of more than 100 because of COVID-19. Now, normally, if I were to read a lead like that and it involved a church challenging tyrannical COVID-19 regulations, I would do a standing ovation and possibly a backflip. And I still might, except for the fact that this is a lawsuit that is filed by Capitol Hill Baptist Church. So I have a little bit of a hypocrisy problem with this, just a little bit. They call this the first legal challenge by a religious organization to the Capitol's coronavirus restrictions. There were a couple of others in Virginia and in Maryland. This suit was filed in U.S district court asking for the right to meet outdoors. And it notes that the mayor, Muriel Bowser, appeared at a huge anti-racism rally in June, that the city police have been assigned to such events and that her office has not enforced its own ban on outdoor gatherings of more than 50 people. Okay, here's why I'm having a little bit of a problem with this. Mark Dever is the pastor of Capitol Hill Baptist Church. He also is the co-founder of a group called Nine Marks. Nine Marks has a podcast, and Mark Dever had a little chat back in July with Jonathan Lehman, who also works at Nine Marks. And might I just note that Jonathan Lehman was among several prominent evangelical leaders who were out there marching in the earlier summer anti-racism Black Lives Matter gatherings. I think that was called Faith That Works DC. He was out there marching. He was out there marching at the time. He works with Mark Tever at Nine Marks, and they did this podcast together back in July. So I pulled out some of these previous clips that I aired on the show. If you haven't heard them, I'm going to replay a couple of them because I think this is just weird. All of a sudden, all of a sudden they want to get back into church, but they don't want to get back into church. They want to meet outdoors. Okay, they said the church takes no issue with defendants decision to permit the gatherings, the the 
Black Lives Matter stuff, which are themselves protected by the First Amendment. And the church supports this exercise of First Amendment rights. The church does, however, take exception to defendants' decision to favor certain expressive gatherings over others. Well, why are they worried about it now? Because they certainly weren't that worried about it earlier in the summer when they were getting criticized for going on these Black Lives Matter marches, so many of them, and being all woke, like Mark Dever is, they're all woke, and and that was fine. And yet, they did this podcast in July where they were critical of Grace Community Church, John MacArthur's church out in California, putting out a statement saying why it's biblical to stand against the government at this point because it's clear that the restrictions are uneven and there's hypocrisy there on the part of the government and we're going to open our doors, we're going to have church anyway. Mark Dever and Jonathan Lehman were critical of that because they said, you might be implying that those of us who don't do the same thing are disobeying God. So let's listen to a little bit of this from late July. Does Mark Dever think government has the right to curtail worship? This is what he said back then. Cut one. From the government's perspective, I would say yes. Uh, and I would say it, it would be like this. If this is not a permanent request, if this is a temporary request, mm-hmm. if this is not a request aimed just at Christian churches, but mm-hmm. not at Jewish synagogues and not at Muslim mosques, mosques and, and not at um, secular concerts and not at, you know, if it's not aimed uh, only at us as opposed to at other like gatherings of people. And if the purpose is for the public health, our own health, the health of our neighbors, I think those are all things that we, certainly as pastors at Capitol Hill, have taken into account when we tried to think, should we abide with these requests? And because we've understood that there's not animus, but there's a desire to fulfill the public trust in what they're doing in a way that we would affirm them in doing what they're doing, trying to fulfill the public's trust for public safety, uh, then we would certainly uh, encourage uh, compliance with that request. Uh, We certainly would agree with the elder's statement from Grace Community Church that the state doesn't have the authority to instruct us that we cannot meet because we're quite willing to go to jail in order to faithfully fulfill what the Lord has commanded us to do, Mm -hmm. as many Christians are showing around the world in various places today and and have shown in the past. You think of enslaved Christians here in America. You think of Baptist ministers in Virginia who were thrown in jail. Yeah, so there are, yeah, there's lots of ways in which as Christians, we know that and we've we've shown that and we should continue to, to show that. Weird. Why why have they changed it up now? All of a sudden, they're concerned that these Black Lives Matter protests were allowed and that there is some disparity in the way that the mayor of D.C. is treating them versus treating Black Lives Matter. You knew that months ago. You participated in them, Jonathan Lehman. What's the problem here? Is it about money? I don't know. I have no idea. That's what some people cynically think. Is it because you need people back in church because you want them? They're not even arguing, by the way, to get back in church. They're asking for the right to meet outside. So if it's important for a biblically ordered church to be able to meet together, yes, you can meet outside. They're not even fighting for the right to be back in their building. Well, why wouldn't you fight for that? Why would you fight to be outside? Very weird. This is very muddled. Then Lehman discusses the issue of jurisdiction. This is cut to. I, I, I want to say on the one hand, there is something called sphere sovereignty, where the state has one jurisdiction, the church has another. But I also want to say those jurisdictions overlap, right? Insofar as you have people who are both citizens and church members, yeah. the state has one claim. You're our citizens. The church is another. You're our church members. And we, we see that. We see that overlap in fire codes. You know, we're, we're accustomed to, in some regard, uh, the state 
making restrictions on our meeting spaces, building yeah. codes, fire codes, zoning regulations. And we don't perceive that as an encroachment upon ecclesiastic, ecclesiastical order. Or it's freedom. Just, or freedom. We understand that. Well, they're doing their job. Now, yeah. can they go too far? Of well, course. yes, they can. All right. Again, that was a silly argument. I said so at the time, and I maintain it's a silly argument. A state enforcing building codes is not the same as the state saying you can't have church because there is some virus that is killing fewer than 1% of the people who contract it. It's not the same thing, and it is an emergency order that's been going on for six months. And oh, by the way, if you're a leftist, you can go out and do whatever you want in the streets because that's racial justice. But you Christians have to stay closed. I mean, why has it taken you six months to notice this? We We've been saying this for months. A lot of Christians have been saying this for months. Then, of course, they compared the church closures to what happened during World War II. This is cut three. So you used the example yesterday with me, Mark, about churches along the coastal lines during World War II. Explain that. Yeah, when there were there were blackouts because there was concerns of German shelling from the uh, submarines or mm-hmm. even battleships, actually, uh, in the East Coast and Japanese in the West Coast. And so there would be various times when places certainly like Manhattan or Los Angeles or San Diego would or San Francisco would be put on blackout where for the sake of public safety, do not uh, let any light show that could make it easier to target us. Now, if a church complies with that, even though they were, they were going to have be having meetings that evening and maybe even out, outreach revival meetings, I mean, is is the state coercing them? Mm-hmm. Well, no. I mean, the, the state is not going to do this forever. The state is not just aiming this at churches. The state is doing this for the public health, for the public good, and for the good of your neighbor. Well, and for the good of the church. Well, then why file a lawsuit now if it's for the good of the church? And by the way, the blackouts during World War II would not have affected Sunday morning worship because the sun is shining. So it's not analogous. Then this was interesting, discussing a Capitol Hill Baptist church member who complained the church should open back up. Listen to this, cut four. This you guys didn't gather for what, two months? We did not gather starting from the middle of March through the remainder of March, through all of April, through all of May, through the first Sunday of June. We did okay. not gather. Okay. In that window, a yeah. member says to you. Very much like this uh, statement. This statement. Uh, he just said, Hebrews 10, I, I feel I need to. I feel I'm in sin. How did you pastor that person? Well, because he said he felt like he was in sin, I phoned him. He's a, he's a good friend in the church. And I just said, well, brother, you should thank you for informing us. Um, you should resign your membership immediately and find a group of Christians that are obedient to Scripture. He said, well, I didn't I didn't mean to say that. I mean, I understand you can disagree on this. I, I understand you believe we should meet two normally and we're in exceptional time. I said, well, that's we didn't leave room for that in your language. So you've got to. You've got to somehow leave room in your language for people to disagree with you. So you're saying you're saying to him, for the one who says it is unclean, it is unclean. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. If you're convinced that you are in sin complying with what the government. Oh, is not, asking, not, your pastors are asking you. Your pastors are saying we're not gathering. You're saying that's unclean. You're saying you have to then go to another church. Well, if you're going to be consistent and if there are no other factors in your life. But right. so, yes, just in isolation right. for yes. conversation's sake. Yes. Yes, okay. that could be. All right. Just weird. Just weird. So this guy was supposed to resign back then because he wanted to meet, but now they're suing in order to meet. What are you going to tell that member now, Mark Tever? This is just weird. Hey, I think you should be allowed to open up, but you should have been on board months ago and you should be arguing to open your church doors. If you can go to Walmart, you can open your church. But I guess better late than never. Not very consistent, though. 
Thank you for joining us on Janet Mefford today. We're going to have to leave it there, but we will see you next time, Lord willing. Thanks so much for being with us. 